Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I just wonder whether now as a, as a football community, in terms of really sending a powerful message, is come off social media. Six months. Twitter has a new priority. The company is implementing a plan to combat online abuse. Users will now have the option to hide certain posts and report unsavory behavior. Having this type of user base makes it almost toxic, and it's scaring off some of the investors, which is causing some problems with Twitter. Now, they provide us... Obviously, whatever we have been doing for the last 20 years isn't working. So whatever people want to talk about in terms of passing laws or boycotting Twitter, that's not going to work because people can still be racist and they'll have other platforms in which to voice their discriminatory practices. And so, and what feels like the time it takes to make a brew... The new football season is here in full swing. Back to the edge of the air. Xhaka takes it first time. Willian is in there. It's going to fall in the end for Lacazette, who scores. And Arsenal have taken the lead. As teams were physically readying for the most intense campaign of their lives, a different kind of preparation was going on too. At academies across the country, kids as young as nine were being educated on social media abuse. We've now created a world that our children are entering, which is bigger and wider. And there are more people out there who have access to them. With opening the world, we open up the 99% of the world, which is lovely. But we also open up the 1% of the world, which is pure evil. Nine. And being prepared for the ills of social media? Can we let that sink in? This is Between the Lines. I'm Melissa Reddy. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into how hate speech on social platforms has permeated football from youth level all the way up. We assess its psychological toll, reveal how players and personalities are fighting back, prove why no one is really anonymous no matter what generic picture and name they use. We also explain why Twitter, Instagram and Facebook have been reactive rather than proactive in dealing with abuse. You know, let's face it, their business, they have to make some money. They have to monetize this in some way. Investors, of course, is one way to do that, but they're getting chased off by all this hate speak and everything else that we're seeing in our Twitter feed. Put up match highlights and it will be gone in 60 seconds, with your account probably going bye-bye too. Access denied. Put up discriminatory, derogatory words though, and it's a lot more laboured to get them taken down and the account suspended. 
A whole host of informed voices join us for this episode, including media lawyer Matt Hemsworth. Social media companies should be doing a lot more to protect us as a society. Wasserman's Andrew Mills. It's meant to try and unsettle. Jason Lee from the PFA. You know, that's something you have to deal with, the fact that people, you know, first thing they do when they wake up is check their, their social media. And researcher Bertie Vigent. Technology, which we all hope is going to come along and just solve this problem and let us automatically identify all the things which we think are bad and harmful. That technology is still not there. Also joining me to explore all of this is former Arsenal defender, current analyst superstar, Question of Sport presenter and all-round girl boss Alex Scott to share her personal experience. I knew I couldn't tell my mum because then she'd be worrying and I was like taking all this negativity onto myself and I did. I kind of lost myself in my personality because I knew everything that was going on around it. Throughout the English pyramid, psychologists, welfare officers and social organisations have been advising those involved in the game on ways to handle the toxicity thrown in their direction. At the elite end, online abuse has become such a disease, clubs, agencies, and footballers in their own personal capacity have lawyered up. It was staggering to note the amount of players that couldn't contribute to this episode on the record due to having open criminal cases. This week, a black London-based footballer shared some of his mentions and direct messages with me. There were calls for him to be hung and for his family to be burned alive. He has taken the legal route because the consistency and violent nature of the abuse is unacceptable. Now, you may be asking, why don't players just get off social media then? And, as he told me, why should we stop engaging with those who do support us? Stop building our brand? Stop putting our messages out? just because of trolls. Why can't the platforms do more to protect the majority of their users who want to use it properly and positively? We've heard Michael Richards have to defend himself from being constantly told he's only on TV because he's black. We've heard him have to defend Alex Scott, who gets berated for daring to be a black woman working at the forefront of football. She has had to be remarkably strong to drown out all the noise and still succeed. Before when I used to see all the messages and I used to be like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. Like what I'm only doing, I'm talking about something that I love. I don't get it. We spoke to Alex when she was named as an ambassador for Vitality to promote the growth of the women's game. I think because I spoke out about it before, I went through a really a stage where it really did affect me. Some of the comments and they was, yeah. And it's not until I actually got to a stage where I thought, I can't take this anymore. It it is becoming too much for me that I spoke out about it. Um, And then the people, when I did speak out about it, it helped. It changed because people actually didn't realize that I was struggling with it. And, you know, you can't help someone unless you actively, you speak out about it. Um, And I think what I've done now is when I'm going through those times, I do. I say to people, I think we've just seen recently, like I've gone through it again um, with everything that just happened. But like I said, I know it is changing. Like people know that 
we're ready for change in this country and other countries too, actually all around the world that, but it's, I've been at the forefront and I'm taking all the hit. But like I said, I remind myself that I'm doing it for a positive reason. There's others coming through. And do you know what? The thing now as well, how you just said it about, because Ian Wright said it about me being so well prepared and everything. And then people are like, yeah, exactly. See, she's a woman. She has to be like, do her research and be prepared. But I'm like, no, in any job, when I was a player, exactly. I would be yeah. prepared. I'd know about my opponent who I was playing up against. Like, I'm not just going to turn up on screen and try and just like blag my way through anything. I find it interesting. I want to know everything about everyone that I'm going to be talking about to provide that insight because that's my job. As a woman of color working in football, I know all too well that the spotlight is more intense. The desperation for me to slip up is overwhelming. I have to work doubly hard to get half the opportunities. This rings true with Alex's experience. We know if we do one mistake or we say one name that's wrong, it's going to be scrutinized. And, but I, I don't know. I think for me, I'm never in competition with anyone else. I'm in competition with myself. Yes, I always yeah. want to be the best that I can be, no matter what TV program that I'm on. I know that when I come away, I analyze myself all the time. I'm like, oh, I should have said this, or I could have done that. I could have provided more insight there. So it's for me, no matter what job I'm doing, when I was a football player, I wanted to be the best for me, or I feel like I'm letting myself down. And I always go back, one of my favorite quotes ever is from Billie Jean King, and she says that pressure is privilege. So when I get into those pressure situations, it's because I've worked so hard to be there. Like it's not a negative. You have to embrace that moment and go with it because you've waited so long for it. And actually I still pinch myself to be honest because I don't think that I transition into this thinking I'm, I want to make headlines oh I want to mm. be that first female I want to do this I was thinking why are there not more females I, I couldn't understand I was like I know about this sport I talk about it constantly with all my friends I've played at the highest level in my head I just couldn't understand why not you know so yes yeah that's why I went into it not for the headlines but to be like I'm passionate about what I do. I was like, you need more females. We need this representation. And so for all the stuff that, yes, that come with it, the bad side in terms of how everything you've said, get back in the kitchen. What do you know about sport? What do you know? I know the answer is Alex knows a lot more about football than a lot of people. And she does her research. But online abuse doesn't really care about how good or talented you are. It's Like she says, so easy to tap hatred out and forget about it. The impact of this trauma on the person receiving it, though, can be lasting. My name is Andrew Mills. I am head of strategy at Wasserman, one of the largest global uh, agencies. I have been a chief executive, sporting director, and started off uh, as as an agent, uh, was the youngest agent, uh, youngest licensed agent in the world for, for a while back in 1993, 94 and was the first licensed agent in this country. For quite some time, you used to find that, you know, the hatred and abuse was was focused within a group within the stadium. Well, that unfortunately has now been given extra license and extra legs by, by having the ability to communicate directly with um, with the players via social media. And, um, and as we know through a lot of stories that have been running the press recently, you know, it, it, it's... Um, it's spiteful, it's, it's meant to target um, weakness, it's meant to find weakness, it's meant to try and 
unsettle um, and and have a lasting effect of, of, of which you know unfortunately I'm, I'm here today to say that, that it does um, undoubtedly um, after time you know it certainly starts to affect a, a number of areas that I think most people and, and possibly some of those that that that, um, that subject players to this would wouldn't even begin to imagine you know this is multi-layered so it isn't a case of you know, somebody sending abuse um, on social media, it, it bouncing off of a player or the player seeing it and kind of ignoring it. The reality of it is, is they they're either they either feel the need to to carry that um, that issue them, themselves um, because of an embarrassment, because of a, of a of a fact that you know they've spent a lot of time telling parents, loved ones, boyfriends, girlfriends, whoever they're okay, it doesn't bother them. The truth with with trauma or, or, or traumatic experiences of which, you know, abuse can certainly be counted amongst, are, are the, it, it adds up throughout your life. You, you carry trauma throughout your life. And, and whilst at an early age, you know, you feel that you can, you can bounce and, and, and brush it off, the reality is you, you don't. It still makes a mark. And at some point, um, you'll be reminded of that. Now, quite often that will come at some point in a player's career. It might not necessarily come on the pitch, yeah. which is where I believe those people that are directing it towards think it can't, you know, think it's going to affect. I think the reasoning behind it is is that you know, I think from an early age we 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 identify a point of difference um and we identify a point of difference as a, as a weakness in a in a in another in another kind of group party or individual. I think the, the the age of social media has given people a voice to be able to point out that difference and and then add some spiteful hate and abuse and and add, add more levels to it. You know, for for a young player, their first thought is disappointment, and nine times out of ten, their initial reaction is to ignore it, and they do that very successfully initially. However, this isn't a case of one comment in. 100,000 or one comment in a year or one comment in a month even, this is a case of a number of comments for every single social media post they make. It becomes tiring and it goes far deeper than somebody calling somebody names and them, you know, wandering off and, and starting again tomorrow when they wake up. So, can the trolls who abuse someone on social media really be found? Even if they are found, what happens then? Will they get banned? Have they broken the law? According to media lawyer Matt Hemsworth, who supports clubs and players who suffer online abuse, trying to conceal your identity isn't going to help. Now, first and foremost, it's a criminal offence to threaten someone online. It's a criminal offence to attack someone based on a protected category. But our police are very under-resourced. They do have the ability and capabilities and there are some high-profile examples of police prosecutions for online abuse. But nine times out of ten, if action is going to be taken, then the victim, unfortunately, needs to take action themselves. Because it's not just a criminal offence, it's a civil offence. But if the police don't have the resources or the inclination to take action, you'll have to rely on the fact it's a civil offence. It's a, it's a breach of your rights to be threatened in relation to your race, religion, etc., or, or, or threatened with uh, physical acts of harm. 
Um, so it's possible to bring legal action against the perpetrator. And that would be something like harassment or, or, or similar laws like that. Now, I'm sure most people listening and you yourself will be thinking, well, actually, no, that's not the problem. The problem is to identify who the perpetrator is. Um, and that's a challenge that we always do have. And, and uh, But there is an interesting angle to that. that uh, without wishing to get too technical legally, that it is possible to apply to a court in England and Wales for a disclosure order against a social media company when someone breaches your legal rights. So, and, and, they, and they do abide by these orders made in this country. We've seen that happen. Um, you go to court, you have to persuade the judge that your legal rights have been breached by the individual by threatening you, racially abusing you, whatever else. The judge will then order Facebook or Twitter, or whichever social media company it is, to disclose all identifying information they hold about that individual. And I think, well, I think we all are under a misapprehension, but particularly trolls are under a misapprehension that social media companies can't identify us if we don't give away our real name. But I think anyone who goes onto Instagram's don't download your data tool will have a, 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 a real surprise to see the extent of information that they hold out about us. It's not just the email address that you provide to them. It also includes your IP address, uh, IP logins, etc. Now, we have had instances where we've obtained orders like that and we have IP addresses and that on its own has not been enough to identify the perpetrator. What you then need to do is go back to court and get another order against the internet service provider. And on the most recent example we had, that was Vodafone. So we then went to Vodafone and they told us who the individual using that IP address was. And that was a point at which we were able to identify the perpetrator. Have there been instances where you have found offenders by what they have posted as well? Uh, we have one situation uh, at a Premier League club that I work with where a number of their black and mixed race players were abused online by, by fans of an opposition team after they'd beaten them in an FA Cup match. Now, one of the trolls that was abusing the players, um, he had actually he'd used his own photograph, but he hadn't used his own name. Um, and he seemed to think that he was anonymous. But um, there were so many clues that enabled us to track this guy down. Um, one was he used the same username, not just on Instagram, which is the platform he used to abuse uh, the lads. Um, he used it on all of his other platforms, including some slightly obscure ones. And on those other platforms, including Facebook, he'd use his own name. Um, we were able to track down from Facebook his uh, employers. Um, but as you also said, we were able to, he was, uh, you know, trolls are humans too. He loved his dog, God bless him. And uh, he had a number of photographs of him with his dog. He also trapped himself on Instagram walking his dog with a lovely map of his walk that he took the dog on throughout the Midlands countryside. But of course, the journey started and began at one place. Uh, which we quickly learned was his home address. So we were able to, to pack up all of that information, turn it into a report and just drop it on the desk of the uh, police force that we liaised with just to make their job easier so they had the ability to go and knock on his door. Um, and the one thing that was quite fun on this particular case was the mayor culpa that he did on YouTube in which he apologised uh, and in which he made the point that um, he's a big fan of rap music and most of his heroes are black. Um, which was just an extraordinary thing. That um, I, I don't know whether our society is becoming more and more racist, more and more prejudiced, um, but social media certainly gives out 
an outlet to people who would never dream of expressing themselves in that way amongst their friends in the pub or wherever else. But social media seems to give them an outlet to talk in the most revolting way possible. We, in the work we do, we're in quite a fortunate position that we have the support of the Premier League football clubs that we work with who will support their young players um, and first-team players to do this kind of stuff. I think one of the things that worries me as a wider societal issue is the fact that your average punter probably can't afford to go and do that. And that's where I think you know social media companies should be doing a lot more to protect us as a society. If it's still this difficult for those at the top of the game with access to these resources, then what about those lower down the football pyramid? And what's currently being done to try and help all victims of abuse? Join us after the break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Between the Lines. It's not just when taking legal action concerning social media abuse that there is such a disparity in the football food chain. Last year, police investigated a Nottingham Forest fan for making monkey references to Derby's Dwayne Holmes on Twitter. This was only 15 days before Manchester United's Marcus Rashford condemned the racist abuse Paul Pogba received on the same social media platform. In between both incidents, 
Chelsea forward Tammy Abraham's mentions were flooded with equally disgusting racism after his unsuccessful penalty in the Super Cup shootout defeat to Liverpool. Abraham misses, defied by Adrian, and Liverpool's standing goalkeeper, the Spaniard Adrian, is the hero in Istanbul. Keep your head held high, Rashford encouraged him, adding... We've all had them saved before the 21-year-old also became the target of attacks due to a missed penalty during United's loss to Crystal Palace. Holmes, a United States international, said the worst bit of the online racism he encountered was that he was not even shocked by it. The inconsistency in the reaction from the social media behemoths will not have surprised the midfielder either. Twitter responded to the Pogba incident by revealing they will meet with United to discuss the proactive work they are doing to address online racist abuse towards certain footballers in the UK. They had already agreed to sit down with anti-discrimination group Kick It Out in the aftermath of the Abraham situation. There was, however, no public response from Twitter to the tweet Holmes had received. The case was only escalated to the police because the 24-year-old posted a screenshot of the abuse on his account, which alerted other users as well as Derby County and Nottingham Forest to formally report it. Moving forward, not much will change in that regard for Holmes and other players like him who don't possess big brand status. Part of Twitter's strategy to combat hate speech at the time was to have staff keeping a close watch on posts sent to 50 of the most high-profile black players. Forrest get it forward again. Phillips to Wone. He hooks it forward. Lee's on the chase. Could be a problem here for Walker. Lee's got to it. He has and he scored. Jason Lee. You expect a substitute or hope a substitute to make an impact. And that's just what the big man has done. He's put Forrest ahead. Jason Lee is a former professional footballer and non-league coach. He now works for the Professional Football Association and he's aware of this problem. They're prepared to work with those who have got the two ticks, you know, the high-profile people. You'll find that if a celebrity is is taking a lot of heat, um, the pressure is on them for them to do something about it. That's all I've seen really with social media companies, that if you're of a high-profile and you're, you know, one of their probably cherished customers because they realise the amount of people and attraction that's attached to your name. They will do everything they can to assist you and help you in that respect. But even with those high-profile people, it's still not good enough. So my point is, if it, if you're not being able to look after and protect the high-profile personality, then what chance, which is what you alluded to, what chance has somebody without that profile? They're commercial entities, their desire is to make money. Here's Matt Hemsworth. They respond to situations when uh, it is a sensible reputational decision for them to make. So, for example, the Premier League have been have been very good in putting um, Twitter under pressure. And, and actually, I, I think there should be a focus particularly on Instagram as well, which we're, I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but the Premier League have been able to put Twitter under pressure. And Twitter have had meetings with the Premier League and the PFA um, and have made some concessions to protecting footballers from the awful abuse that footballers get, which is great. 
But why have they done that? And this is obviously just a view that I have, but they've done that because it looks good reputationally for them, which is good for their bottom line. And it's good for their ability to make money out of their platforms. Now, social media companies make money out of their platforms on the basis of our data. Our, da- our data is more valuable than, for example, if they made it a paid-for service. If Twitter and Instagram and Facebook became a paid-for service, let's say you paid a pound a month to use any of these social media sites, then it would I wouldn't say it would eradicate trolling and hate speech immediately, but it would absolutely minimise it. It would, it would, for our society, it would be a huge breath of fresh air. It would be wonderful for the discourse that we have in this country online. But they won't do it because the pound a month that they make pales into insignificance in the value of the data that we share. It would reduce their users enormously. And I'm pretty sure that Twitter, Instagram and Facebook made the decision that if they were to do that, it would would probably bring their platform um, way behind their rivals and therefore their platform would not succeed. Um, And that's why they're not prepared to do it. That business-driven thinking would also explain why copyright is dealt with so much more stringently than hate speech. It's clear and simple commerciality and of course they will remove um, copyright materials um, when they're required to do so because uh, the alternative is to lose lucrative contracts that they have with the the companies that want to enforce their copyright. The other thing I wanted to say about copyright and, and it's one of the real ironies of the job that I do is I will quite often use copyright to protect people in a vulnerable position when they've had their privacy breached. And it's a real irony because it's absolutely outrageous. We have to rely on copyright. And I just want to give you one example. I acted for a, um, uh, well, I've acted for a number of men and women, but a, 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 a woman in the public eye who had had her iCloud hat and a number of intimate images released from that. The impact on her was absolutely devastating. It's one of the most upsetting cases I've had to deal with. Um, Now, when we were contacting not just social media sites, but also uh, Google and other websites to have those clearly intimate, clearly stolen photographs and videos taken down, we did not write to them on the basis of the law of privacy. We wrote to them on the basis of she owns the copyright in the videos and the photos that she took. Now, it's absolutely ludicrous that that should be the law we rely on. There's no way that this poor lady wanted to profit from uh, these intimate photos and videos, but that was the way that we were able to, to, to help her. We had to take that pragmatic approach. So um, it's a useful tool for people to have uh, when, they, when they find themselves in these awful positions, but really it shouldn't be necessary. Over the last few years, the platforms have been pressured into a greater cleanup. How do you view these social media companies? Are they just the facilitators for us to communicate? Many now think these entities are responsible for designing their own systems and how they are governed, and so should be held responsible. My name is Bertie Vigen. I'm a research fellow in online harms at the Alan Turing Institute. I research online hate speech, misinformation and extremism. We spend a lot of time trying to develop uh, computational methods, so machine learning and AI, to detect these forms of online harms and to help us understand their dynamics. Researcher Bertie Vigen breaks down the sea change in perception. People, I think, recognise now the importance of these spaces. Um, for a long time as well, they were seen as private spaces. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's your choice whether you go on them. It's a private company who's giving you a service. And so in a sense, 
that's very that's like any other business there's a different say norm around how we regulate and govern those spaces i think what's happened over the last couple of years is we've recognized that these are public or at the very least semi-public spaces they have a huge amount of political and social importance and so we need to think about how they're regulated from a societal perspective um in terms of how much the platforms have taken this on board, of course, they always say that they are. Um, they always say that they want more social engagement. They want more steer from government. They want to be responding more to what people are concerned about. Um, but I think the movement is still quite slow in terms of actually making the necessary changes. Now, one company that has done quite a lot is Facebook, which introduced its oversight board. Um, so that's a independent foundation they set up with $130 million dollars. Um, and they are there to review all the content moderation decisions that Facebook makes and then to give them feedback and to give them insights and to really help direct what they're doing. So I think there are some positive things that are happening, um, but absolutely still not enough is being done to really make these spaces accessible and safe and welcoming to different groups. So how can that process be aided? Do we want to register ID or bank cards with our social accounts? Most people aren't comfortable with sharing such details. But does that make any sense? Matt Hemsworth enlightens us. In terms of the argument that, that some people have is why should I entrust <clears throat> Twitter or Facebook uh, and Instagram are owned by Facebook with, with that kind of information? Um, well, you're entering a commercial environment. It's run by a private company that wishes to profit from our data. Um, so... When we want to use a commercial environment, when we want to go into a pub, we expect to behave in a way that the landlord finds acceptable. And if we don't uh, act in that way, then he or she is entitled to chuck us out. Um, we give information to Amazon or whatever websites we use to shop online. We give very sensitive information. We give our credit and debit card details because we want to use their services. And I'm afraid to say, because it has become such a cesspit. And, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, racism and, and prejudice, which is a huge and important issue. But there are equally important issues of child exploitation, for example, on, on, on Facebook. Um, I, I, on a daily basis, see the absolute worst of social media. I, I've had to deal with pages before who are not only abusing footballers, but the stuff they're sharing on the platform is is absolutely sickening. I'm not going to give you some of the examples because they are genuinely upsetting. I can remember a video that I watched. Uh, I, I, well, I didn't, didn't watch all of it because I was flicking through the Twitter account of someone who was abusing one of our players. And um, the video featured such extreme violence as me as a man in my 40s saw it and was so appalled and moved by it that in telling you about it without referencing it in any any way in any detail i can see it in my mind's eye it was appalling um so you know we have to ask ourselves or social media media companies have to ask ourselves are we content to allow anything goes and allow our platforms to be an absolute cesspit of, of hatred which allows child exploitation violence threats or do we want to bring it into order? And do we want to bring it into the same kind of order that we would expect on something like Amazon or eBay, which is a, a commercial site in the same way as Twitter and Instagram? And I know I know what Twitter and, and Facebook's answer to that will be. It will be, well, we, we profit from data, so we want as much data as possible. And, and I'm sorry there aren't enough hours in a day for us to police it. Well, I think that is unfortunate. And um, and as you, as you say, uh, extra identification given at the stage of sign up or, or to be able to keep your account 
I think that would be the way of vastly reducing the hatred that we see on, on, on these platforms. What other reasons are there for this lack of development? Well, cost definitely is um, one factor here. There was actually a report that came out recently and uh, it, was, it was on Facebook. So it said at the moment they have around 15,000 workers, most of which are outsourced, who do their content moderation. Twitter is a lot smaller. They have about 1,500. Um, and this report said, look, if we want to really do this properly, if we really want to moderate content and to look after the workers, because a lot of the workers who do this are under a lot of emotional and mental health stress, um, we're going to need to double that number. We're going to need to have 30,000 people working at Facebook. That obviously does have a big impact on the bottom line. Um, the other thing is that the technology, which we all hope is going to come along and just solve this problem and let us automatically identify all the things which we think are bad and harmful, that technology is still not there, which means that we have very labour-intensive solutions to the problem of content moderation. Um, I think there is more investment that we're seeing from the big platforms, and of course they're not doing this necessarily out of altruism, they are doing this because of public pressure, but the more pressure that we can apply and the more that they see that it is a broad consensus that there needs to be more done to tighten up online spaces, um, I think the more that they will invest into it. The Enough campaign by the PFA, where there was a boycott of the platforms on Friday, 19 April 2019, did scare the social media companies. Jason Lee breaks it down. I mean, the idea was, it was, I mean, it's amazing how many people couldn't do it. You know, it's 24 hours. That's all it was. Can you come off your so, or can you close it down for 24 hours? And yes, there was a large group of people that did it, but then there was also a large group of people that was unable to do that. So it's like an addiction. Mm. You know, that's something you have to deal with. The fact that people, you know, first thing they do when they wake up is check their, their social media, you know. So some people need help actually kind of, detoxing coming away from social media it's not going to be easy but you know what we found was social media companies reached out they saw the power the the negative backlash they was getting they obviously didn't enjoy that they felt compelled to answer and have meetings but then you know things do revert to type you know it, it gets a little bit quieter and then before you know it everything's back to normal in that respect so campaigns are great there's a lot of stuff happening around Black Lives Matters right now, but where, where's the tangible change? You need people to, to continue to keep monitoring what's going on. Our job at PFA is to monitor and see what changes they've made and then keep calling them out, you know, keep calling people and holding them to account. The lack of transparency is, is a problem that we have when dealing with a lot of organisations. People don't really want to share information, so then you have to expose them and you know, it becomes difficult then because people then get defensive. So I really haven't got the answer. I wish I had the answer. It's really frustrating. Um, you know, going back to the fact that you need government support. Without that, you know, what chance have you got of actually um, changing policies? The scale of hate, discrimination and hurt on social media is extensive and appalling and we have the power to help erode it. We need to consider our own actions on the platforms. We need to force the companies to be more proactive in creating a toxic-free environment. We need to force the government to introduce processes and legislation to support such a change. I enjoy logging onto Instagram to see what my friends are up to on the other side of the world.
I enjoy logging onto Twitter to find articles that I might otherwise have missed. I would forget a hell of a lot of birthdays if I didn't log on to Facebook. And I'm sure there are a few of you nodding along. I am absolutely sick though of going on to any of them and having to wade through a flood of vile, dehumanizing words. Now I'm sure a lot of you are nodding along. So enough, enough of the socially ill media. Enough of kids as young as nine having to be schooled about its evils. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production, written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. Additional production support from Finn Ranson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.